Welcome to Galactic Chat. My name's Alex and joining me today is Garth Nix, author of two of my personal favourite young adult and children's series, The Old Kingdom Books and The Keys to the Kingdom. Uh, he's written many other novels and short stories, won several awards. Thank you very much, Garth, for joining me today. Thank you, Alex. It's good to talk to you. <laughs> I wanted to start off by saying uh, thank you in particular for the character and novel of Sabriel. She was the first of your characters that I came across. And uh, while I love Lyriel too and Clariel more recently, there's something about Sabriel in that first Old Kingdom novel that really worked for me, even though I wasn't myself at school at the time. Um, so, and I know that different authors have different ways of creating and fleshing out characters. So I was wondering, do you remember much about how Sabriel kind of came about in her story? It's a long time ago. Yes. <laughs> I have to cast my mind back quite a long way. I mean, I was, uh, the book came out in 1995 and I was writing it you know, for several years before that. I'm very much led by story with my characters, so I often don't know very much about them to begin with. And I learn more about them as I, as I go through the story. And I think, I think this is what I want to happen how will they react? What will they do? How can I, how can I make a story go in this direction? Or maybe I need to rethink it if I, if I then it gives me a clue about how the, how the character is going to react or, or act. Um, Sabriel, it's kind of interesting because I wrote the prologue first. I, I normally do spend quite a long time thinking about a book and making notes and then I often do write a prologue or a first chapter, which I don't always use. Yeah, Sometimes yeah. they end up being things I've written to try and illuminate it for myself. Uh, in the case of Sabriel, I did use the, the prologue. I mean, it was rewritten several times, but I used it. But when I first wrote it, I was thinking I was going to write a novel about her father, about the abortion. And But after I'd written the prologue, I just thought, she's much more interesting. I want to write about her. And so I did. So it was really just a happy, it was a happy accident, I guess, um, that, 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 all, that all worked out. Excellent. I'm very glad that it did work out. Um, and, and reading um, Sabriel, that first novel, and then the third one in the series as well, Abhorson, I was um, really intrigued by the interactions between what I guess could be seen as the real world, um, the, the world with no magic, and the old kingdom with its magic and, I guess, necromancy and so on, and the spaces being separated by a wall, which in my head always felt like um, Hadrian's Wall with kind of the civilised Romans on one side and the barbarian kind of Celts on the other side. Was that... How did how did you think about the, that separation between the worlds? Well, certainly the wall and the wall was inspired by, uh, and in fact, the whole book was inspired by a photograph that I had of Hadrian's Wall. I'd, I'd been to Hadrian's Wall, but uh, when I was about nine, when, when I was nineteen, um, but when I was writing Sabriel, I'd found a photograph. I was working as an editor at HarperCollins Australia at that time, and they were throwing out an old photo library, hmm. which belonged to one of the, the many publishers that had been subsumed by, <laughs> by uh, Rupert Murdoch, and they'd all been amalgamated together to make HarperCollins. And they were throwing out a very old photo library, which belonged to one of the publishers that had been taken over. I can't recall which one it was now. Hmm. And, were, and I thought this was such a, a waste. I mean, most to be honest, there was a lot of very ordinary transparencies <laughs> 
very ordinary things. But there was a, a whole section of, on travel, and one of the photo, and I rescued a lot of those transparencies because I just thought they were good photos. Yes. And one was a photo of Hadrian's Wall, and on the the side closest to the camera, the southern side, was all lush green lawns. It looked like summer. Yes. But on the other side, there was snow on the hills. So it looked like it was summer on one side and winter on the other. Oh, how remarkable. And I just suddenly thought that that gave me the idea for that division between two worlds, which you know, the seasons, uh, they're separated by, you know, their seasons are different. Uh, you can stand on one side and look at the other and you can you can see summer or winter from from uh, where you know you can be in summer and look across and see autumn um, mm. and the weather is in fact can be you know shorn off above it uh, a, a thunderstorm drifting south would just disappear uh, and, and I thought that would be interesting and then and then I started thinking about well one side would have magic and the other side would have technology mm. and I guess it ended up being a sort of 1918-ish technology because I'd been thinking about writing a book set in World War One, a, a realistic historical novel oh, right. set in World War One. Uh, I've always been very interested in military history in general. Yep. Uh, the First World War, many of my relatives fought in, and my great great uncle was killed in 1916. Um, and but I, at the time, I thought I, I wasn't technically capable of writing that novel. Mm. I didn't I didn't have the the chops to do to do that novel. Possibly I was avoiding serious research. I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> Possibly both. And that, that kind of fed into the fantasy novel. So that's that's where that came from, I think. So I was. So you said that um, this was perhaps avoiding doing some research. Had you been interested previously in writing a, a fantasy, magical sort of um, world, or was this quite a departure? Well, my first book, The Rag Witch, was fantasy. Children's yeah, that's what I... Th- I couldn't quite get the chronology right in my head. <laughs> it's gonna be, it can be confusing. Well, depending on people... Publishers always want to label things as first novels and yes. get a bit tricky, you know, first YA novel or first adult novel. <laughs> um, no, The Rag Witch, which came out in 1991. Uh, oh, right, OK. Children's fantasy. Yeah. Uh, I love fantasy. And I lo- actually, I love all kinds of books, and I would like to write more kinds of books, but I do seem to have a natural tendency towards fantasy. Even when I set out to write something contemporary, it typically ends up turning strange. I, I can't help but introduce mm-hmm. some element of fantasy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's it's evidently something to do with, with my mind or, or my reading growing up or something. Yeah. Um, and there have been a few times where I've started writing something Intending it to be completely I know, either contemporary or a straightforward historical or whatever, yeah. and I've not been able to make it work until I've introduced some element of the fantastic, and then it's all come together. Yeah. Uh, so now I I wrote the rag. I, mean, I wrote the rag, which was children's fantasy. That was my first book published. Then I, my second book, the book I wrote after the rag, which has actually never been published, or, or in part has never been published, because. It was a contemporary thriller about a manuscript. Oh. And so it was a book, book within a book, and I wrote both parts. And the book within the book was a, a Regency romance, which is Newt's Emerald, which yeah. has since been published uh, electronically and is being published in, in October. So I, I wrote a thriller wrapping a Regency romance, and, oh, and every every publisher hated it. Oh, no. <laughs> Well, they, 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 all, they all said at the time that thriller readers would hate the Regency romance and vice versa. 
And Surely there's enough of us that cross over. <laughs> I think there is now. I, I, I think things were a bit more set in stone back then. That, that was the early 90s. Um, and I think, in general, there was a lot less genre blending and just general blending of everything. Yeah. Um, but that said, it also didn't work that well. <laughs> so, you know, I can't blame it entirely on, uh, on, on publishers being wary of category mixing. It was, <laughs> it was actually, the, you know, the book didn't work as a combined thing. Mm. And, in fact, and the thriller dated very quickly. So it's probably just as well that it wasn't. It relied on quite a lot of early 90s technology. <laughs> Which... You know, a stupid idea. Might have some retro appeal. <laughs> Might have had, yeah, maybe. maybe. If you're into three and a half inch floppy <laughs> being a key part of the plot, perhaps. But, um, oh, absolutely. Anyway, uh, so. That's a very niche market, probably. Very niche, I suspect. <laughs> so, no, and I have written other things. And in fact, I did end up that historical, First World War historical novel. I never wrote it as a novel, but I did end up writing it as a screenplay. Right. Uh, it's not been produced, but yep. you never know. It has not been produced as yet. As yet. As yet, yes. <laughs> so you said um, Sabriel was printed. I, I can't believe that it's actually 20 years old now that, that Sabriel... In, in, in Australia. It came in out in Australia. 1995 yep. in Australia, that, 96 in the US. Quite remarkable. Yeah, and then much later in the UK. I think it was yep. 2002, actually, it came out in the, in the UK. So Right, yeah. Um, and so the the most recent novel of yours that I've read is Clariel, which is a prequel to that Old Kingdom series. Um, and I have to say, I don't want to spoil the, the story for anyone, but I was personally ridiculously proud that I had guessed who it was actually about. And I turned out to be right. I was really well, excited. Well done. Well um, done. I'm, so it's I'm obviously glad. been quite a while since you wrote those other Old Kingdom novels. What brought you back? Well, I'd actually had the idea for Clarell when I was writing Lirail. Yes. And right at the beginning of Lirail, and I was looking back through my, my notebooks, um, many of my books, not, not all of them and not many of the recent ones, I would write longhand first. So I'd write a chapter longhand, right. then I'd type the chapter. So I, I do have manuscript books of many of my early books. And, and I, I didn't always do this, but I did it, did it for many of them, including Lirail. And I went back and looked at, at Lirail and I looked in the manuscript book and there was a note. I also record when I write the chapters so I can tell that in 1999 I wrote a note about uh, the character who, who would be, you know, who is Clariel. Yep. Um, so it, it actually began back in 1999 and I was right. thinking about it for a long time before I got around to writing it. And I guess I always have a queue of books in my head, I suppose, and it just needed to move up the queue until it became the next thing that I had to write. Yep. And often, you know, I have a basic idea or, or a bunch of ideas. I mean, no book is ever one idea. Mm. And when they coalesce together to form the beginnings of a story and I start getting interested in it and I start thinking about it more and writing more notes and then at some point it reaches a critical mass and I think I have to write that book next. Yep. And Clarell became that book a few years ago. Um, so to, to me, I never really left the old kingdom. I was always thinking about it. Yeah. I just was writing other other books at the same time, uh, and it, it was intellectually it was quite interesting when I was when the book came out to think. Oh, it's been ten years since since the Paulson came out. Mm. Obviously, there's been some short stories 
the long shorts are in between mm. and Nicholas Sarah and the creature in the case um, to hold the bridge. But to me, it just felt like just the other day. But of course, <laughs> not 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 so to readers. Um, no, it's been a long time between those particular books. Yeah, oh, it's really exciting to have it out. And when I was looking, um, I think it was at your website to try and figure out some of the chronology and again how old um, Sabriel is. I noticed that the audio books are narrated by Tim Curry. Yes, Sabriel, Eleanor Porson are narrated by Tim Curry. Uh, which was absolutely, has such a fabulous voice, and I was so pleased when when he did them. Yep. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to do Clariel. Right. Uh, he's, I don't know all the ins and outs, but um, he, he did apparently have a stroke a few years ago. Oh, and while he's recovered, um, you know, is 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 perhaps not doing all the same sorts of work that he, he yeah. used to do. But I, and I don't know all the ins and of that, that's just what filtered down sure. to me through the audio publisher. Um, but it's read by by a very a very fine actor as voice actor as well. So, um, but yes, he he Tim Curry is absolutely fabulous, particularly doing some of the voices. I love his voice. Mm. His Moggart voice is uh, is brilliant. Right. Yeah, I've never really got into audio books, but your books read by Tim Curry, that's a very attractive pairing. <laughs> a lot of I men, a lot of people, a lot of people bought the audio, audio books just because of Tim Curry. They, yes. People quite often email me and say, had no idea about the books, simply bought it because Tim Curry was reading it. Yep. And, you know, enjoyed it and now, now read them. But they were led to the book by Tim Curry. In the same way in America, uh, when Sobriel first came out, uh, a lot of people bought it simply because it had a Leo and Diane Dillon cover, and uh, really? just bought it for them. Yeah, well, they're, they're, they were very, very famous artists. Uh, a lot of people collect their work, and a uh, few people I know, or I have since, you know, because I, since I've since got to know, or they've emailed me or, or, or spoken to me at conventions or whatever, said yeah. they got into the books because of the cover. <laughs> so, which is great. Yeah, it's a good thing, and and they've stuck with them, which is another good thing. Absolutely. Um, so I, I've seen the Old Kingdom series is generally as described as being young adults, sort of, and all of these classifications get a bit blurry, I suppose. Um, but so a number of your novels have been written for young adult, and then you've got quite a few works that are sometimes described as for children and perhaps in America might be described as I guess middle grade although I have no idea what that really means um, do you feel that there's a difference between say the Old Kingdom series and the Keys to the Kingdom like is there a different approach to those different books um, with a different sort of audience in mind well there is and there is a difference between children's and young adult books yeah. um, all these categories are very hard to get too specific about and I think it's important not to get too hung up mm. about categories and genres because people prejudge books according to, according to the categories and so on, which I think is not helpful. Yeah. I mean, you should keep an open mind and, and as I've said before, never never judge a book by the worst example <laughs> in its genre. But to, you know, to my mind, young adult books, essentially are, the, the clue is in the name, are for adults, mm. but they will have particular appeal for young adults, uh, typically because of the, the age of the protagonist or some of the concerns, you know, coming-of-age stories yeah. and so on. But they are for adults, so mm. you can do pretty much anything in those books you would do in, in any adult book. And so that 
young adult book is, is a subset of adults, not a subset of children's. Yeah. Children's books, on the other hand, while good children's books also will be read by adults and should be readable by adults, should, mm-hmm. should have the, the multiple layers that make them good reading for adults as well, but their primary audience will be children, and children are not adults, young or otherwise. So you do need to bear in mind how you write those stories and who will be reading them far more, I think, than than with young adult books. And I guess there's a sort of tone and sensibility difference as well. Um, so I'm, I'm aware of that, but I'm generally not aware of that when I start writing a story. I discover who the story is for in the process of beginning it. Mm. I might start something, and I won't know whether it's going to be a young adult novel or a children's novel or adult novel, um, though typically, you know, whether something is YA or adult is really about the marketing. It's not really about the content. Yes. But, but for children's books, there is a, a clear content question. Yes. That's not to say you can't do incredibly difficult and complex things in children's books, which you can. It's just how you do it. You know, the execution is, is very important. The context is very important. But, yeah, I, I discover what the book is going to be in the, in the process of writing and sometimes or stories as well. And sometimes I will write things and not really know who they're for and it'll be up to publishers or, or editors to work out how, how best to sell it. And, of course, if, you, if you're lucky, you write something that works for everyone. Absolutely. And um, like I said, I love the Keys to the Kingdom series in particular. I would get, you know, one book, Drowned Wednesday, whatever it was, read it pretty much in the first day and then sit there in despair realising that I had like another year until the next one came out. It was really quite tra- tra- tragic. Um, but I'm the same with you know, books that I love. I always want the next one. And yes. It's always great when you discover a new series that you've somehow missed and that's all there. And it's all there. It's amazing. <laughs> you, but you still want I mean, even when you finish, the, even when the series is all published, and you read it, and maybe there's six books or whatever, and you read them all, but you still want more. That's right. Oh, I want more. I go write some more. Fill in. So I do understand that very much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a nice kind of you know hurry up and publish the darn book, but it's it is sometimes frustrating. Um, as the, do you feel there's a, a difference in the reception of your young adult and children's work? So do you hear more from people who have read The Old Kingdom, for example, rather than The Keys to the Kingdom, or is it just different sorts of reactions? Well, they're very similar reactions, I think. Um, when, I, when I do talks at book festivals and so on, for example, and I just was at the Newcastle Writers' Festival the weekend before last, and I did children's events and adult events, and really... If you couldn't hear the, if you couldn't hear the, the the pitch of the voice of the person asking the question, if you couldn't hear whether it's a ten-year-old, or a thirty-year-old, or a fifty-year-old, yeah. you wouldn't know because the questions are equally sophisticated and clever, and 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 probing. I mean, the, the kids ask the same sorts of questions really as the adults do, um, including the writing questions. Particularly these days, you know, mm. children are very interested in being writers themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's. I mean, I'm often I'm talking to maybe ten, eleven, twelve year olds or, or older. I, mean, I might be talking to teenagers. Teenagers, of mm. course, are effectively adults. So, um, so I mean, I'm not talking about five or six year olds who will ask yeah. different kinds of questions. Um, no, the books they do get they get similar responses, I guess. Um, 
a lot depends on on you know, what's around. I mean, the keys to the kingdom. I, got, I had a huge amount of feedback while the books were being published, and that's tapered off over the years as I haven't done any new keys to the kingdom mm. books. Of course, the old kingdom has been revitalised, I guess, by the publication of Clariel and the short stories that I've done. So it sort of keeps on keeping on. Yes. But I, I typically find that there's a huge crossover. I mean, people read read both. Yeah. Um, I, I will say, I mean, the and this goes to the young adult question again. I mean, it, it's quite a few studies have shown most people reading young adult books are, in fact, older adults. Yes. Um, and that seems very much borne out when I do I do bookshop. I do a whole lot of bookshop events. I did a tour in of the UK and the US at the end of last year. Mm. And I would say the great majority of my, my audiences were you know, 20 to twenty to 40, um, right. not teenagers, yep. but you know, people still often young adults, but not teenage young adults. Um, and sometimes, and often they'd read the books when they were, they were teenagers and, mm. and it stuck, it, the books had stuck with them. And, uh, and, you know, and they were sticking with, with me as an author. Yes. And they're the ones invested enough to come along. Um, as opposed to, you know, when you get the, the, the very, very super successful, phenomenal young adult books, uh, like Twilight or, um, uh, Divergent and so on. Yes. You know, the, the great mass of those readers at the moment are actual teenagers. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, though, of course, they also have many older readers as well, but, yes. but that core audience is that, is that teenage demographic. Um, I suspect my core audience, when I write a YA novel, is 20 to 35 or, or 20 to 40, probably. Um, just, just going on the anecdotal evidence of who shows up for readings and signings. Yeah. I, I mean, I can understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm in that demographic and I still, and I love your work. So I guess that's, that, as you say, there's not a huge amount of difference between a young adult and what a young adult at 17 might like and a bit older than that. So that, yeah, that makes sense. Um, you, doing a book tour of the UK and the US um, makes me re- remember something. I, th- I think I might even have heard um, Sean Williams talking about this. He was talking about the series that you co-wrote, um, Trouble, Trouble Twisters. Yeah. And he said that the town where a lot of the action is set is called Portland because there are so very many Portlands in the world <laughs> that it could be sort yeah. of any country. And it made me realise, in particular, when I was reading The Keys to the Kingdom series that the town felt to me like it could very easily have been an Australian city and for some reason I thought it was a lot like Canberra and then I realised that it would, I'm quite sure that someone living in America or, or in the UK would be able to read it and say yeah that feels really familiar to me that the real world stuff is that something that you consciously do to make it more accessible or is that just how it ends up coming out? That's, that's very intentional because in both the case of the Kingdom and in Trouble Twisters, uh, I, I want I want it to feel as if it, as if it could be a place where the reader is living. Yes. So to feel like it could be you know, their their hometown. With a, you know, close your eye a little bit, and it could be your hometown, mm. home city. Um, so that's that's very deliberate, and it's a good one when it, when it works. I mean, interestingly. Many readers in other countries presume I'm also from their country, huh. um, and, and many 
or they make presumptions that I must be English because uh, I write fantasy and that's where we're good fantasy. <laughs> Which, you know, is basically a compliment. Uh, yes. so, but it's always interesting when people are surprised. People in America are often surprised I'm Australian and not American. Yes. Um, or, or they're surprised I'm not English. And sometimes even in Australia, people are surprised I'm Australian, which <laughs> is, is quite funny, as if I must have come from somewhere else. But um, it, it is interesting about the assumptions people make about who the author is yes. based just upon reading reading a book yes. and, and obviously not reading the author bio. <laughs> Which might, which may or may not be on the book, of course, but often isn't these days. So, yeah. so we've talked a bit about you know, the young adult and um, children's novels in particular, but I can't not mention the incredible long ra- long running saga of Sir Hereward and Mister Fitz, whose stories I've come across in a variety of different anthologies. Again, I was trying to figure out how I would describe the pair to somebody else who hadn't read any of their stories. And I just, I, I don't think I can do them justice. How, how do you spin this knight and his puppet to people who haven't read their stories? That's a good question. I'm not sure whether I've ever actually had to. I, I would probably try and avoid it. Um, yes. You have. Thanks for that. <laughs> well, I, I mean, they are they are essentially sword and sorcery stories but they're kind of they're kind of sword and gunpowder stories because they're set in a in more a 17th century level of of gunpowder technology but with sorcery and but it's a very sword and sorcery kind of world it's a very uh clark ashton smith or perhaps even uh, combined with a bit of a sort of Jack Bansian world mm. of many gods and godlets uh intruding into a very balkanised world full of lots of weird little principalities and, and strange sex and religion and, and so on. And it's the stories are about uh, a knight who is also an artillerist um, and his companion who is a sorceress puppet, who's a self-willed <laughs> puppet, who, whose job it is is to, is to kill or destroy inimical godlets or gods that have intruded into the world and need to be sent back to where they came from or, or destroyed, if that's possible. So they're, they're wanderers. They, they, they wander the world basically dealing with the, these troubles wherever they go. And I, I guess they also fall into the very much in, into the tradition of um, Fritz Leiber's Fafard and the Grey Mouser. It's, it's my take on that kind of tale, which I, which I always loved. Yep. And uh, but with a bit of a different twist to it, the world's a bit different. They're they're, they're different. Yeah, I, I enjoy doing those stories. I mean, they are they are very adult stories. That's not yes. to say that young adults don't read them, <laughs> but they're not for they're not for twelve or thirteen year olds. Um, I would I would hope not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but certainly, you know, I would have read them when I was fifteen or sixteen without any problems, and I'm I'm, I'm sure. Uh, there are readers of that age who are reading them yep. as well, um, but they are, they are you know, mature stories. They have complex content in them, so to speak. Um, but yeah, they're they're adventure, they're sword, they're sword and and gunpowder adventure stories with I hope two quite distinct characters. Oh, absolutely, and I, I can sort of almost imagine the the lineage from 
Pinocchio to to Mr. Fitz with some really weird sort of other ancestors in there. So why a puppet? What does a puppet kind of let you do? Well, puppets are scary. Yes. Puppets are scary. And they're they're interesting because they're entertaining, they're toys for children, and they are potentially extremely frightening. Yes. So they're a strange combo. And Mr. Fitz, to me is an embodiment of, the, of that combination because he is a self-willed puppet. Most of the self-willed puppets in this world are entertainers and they're harmless mm. and, you know, and, and they're fun and, and, and fun and funny. Uh, they're like little jesters that go around playing and so on. Uh, one of the lines I liked in the very first story describing that, I can't remember exactly, it says something along the lines of, you know, most self-willed puppets are entertainers and, no played instruments and so on. Yep. Mr. Fitz was not one of those puppets. Because <laughs> he's not. And he's actually much... And the other thing, of course, which makes it interesting is that, you know, he's little... He's a, he's a pay, he's got a paper mache head, mm. though it's magical. Um, but he's, intent, he's immensely strong. He's a killer. He's also a sorcerer um, who wields far more power than Sir Heriwood does. Yes. Um, and he's ancient and both male and female. Uh, you know, he's... <laughs> He's a very interesting. He's a very interesting character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I just liked it. I mean, I think it'd be interesting. You talk about Pinocchio, the antecedents of, of a puppet character. Mm. My mother made puppets when I was a child, uh, which we loved playing with. Uh, my eighth birthday party, I think she put on Moomin Land Midwinter as a yep. puppet show for us, which was absolutely marvelous. I, I loved it so much, and we had the Moomin puppets for many years afterwards to play with. <laughs> so I guess I grew up with, with, with puppets and and it was I was bound to write a story with a puppet in it at some point and uh, it just got infused with various other other things. <laughs> you know, a sorcerous, dangerous puppet. Yes, assassin puppet. I know that um, some of the stories have been collected, I think, into one or two collections. There's one, one, one click. There's Sahara... Yes. It's three adventures, which yep. is which is an ebook, and also a limited edition uh, from Subterranean Press. Yes. So that's the first three stories, but there have been three more since then, yep. which are in uh, Rogues, edited by George R. R. Martin and Gardner de Joie, yep. and in Fearsome Magics, edited by Jonathan Strand. Yep. Um, and there's another one in. Um, Rags and Bones. Ah, oh, right, yes. That's where I saw the other one. Yeah, Melissa Marr and... Um, uh, um, oh, my mind has momentarily gone blank. Yes, I should know that one too. Tim. Tim. Uh, <laughs> I can't believe that, that my, mind, my mind has temporarily... Tim Pratt, of course. Of course. Mind temporarily gone there. Yep. Sorry, Tim, if you're listening. <laughs> I apologise. Um, can you imagine ever having them all in one place? Is that something you'd like to do? Oh, down the track, I'm, I'm sure, because I'll, I'll write some more and I'll at yep. some point we'll bring them all together. Um, I, I do like collections. Um, there is a collection. My next book that comes out is, in fact, a collection of my short fiction mm. of the last sort of five years or so, which is Hold the Bridge, yep. which includes the Old Kingdom novella to Hold the Bridge. Um, but it doesn't have the Sir Herod and Mr. Fitz stories because I'm keeping them separate. To, yep. to, and also because 
of the YA adult children's mm. issues, yeah. you know, which which might crop up if I put those in. So even though there are some quite YA stories in that, uh, okay. uh, the, upper, the upper end of YA, um, but it's got, I think, 19, 19 previously published stories of, right. of all kinds in there. So, yeah. Yeah. Bridge was published in... Um Another Jonathan Strun and, and Jack Dan. Yeah, le- that's right. A Legend couple of years Australia. ago. Yeah, Legends of Australian Fantasy. That's right. About five years ago, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's quite a while ago. It Lots was, and it had some spectacular. Um, I think they were they were all novellas where um, people like yourself and Isabel Carmody and I think maybe Trudy Canavan and a few others got to sort of revisit their worlds and write new stories yeah. or have stories that they'd already written published yeah. to kind of flesh out those worlds. I think they were all, all written specifically for that anthology. Oh, okay. I didn't but, that. but revisiting revisiting their best best known worlds yeah. for the most part. Yeah. 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 yeah, it was a great idea. So you said that one's coming out is that this year? Hold to hold the bridge. Uh, hold the bridge is out in June. Yep. Yeah. And then Newt's Emerald in October? October, that's, that's right. That's really exciting. And so where to from here? What other ideas have got to the front of the queue in your brain? Well, I'm writing. I am writing another Old Kingdom novel. Which, oh, that's so exciting! Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, picks up from the end of the creature in the case. Right. So pretty much the end of a Borson. Yep. Uh, you know, about a year later or, or six months later. Um, so I'm working on that at the moment, and, and a few other things, as, as always, some stories and an, and another novel. Yep. Um, but that's the main thing I'm I'm working on at the moment. That's very exciting. So, um, in fact, yes, that makes me very excited for to look forward to its publication day. Oh, I, I hope so. I hope so. Magnificent. Uh, Garth, thank you so much for joining us on Galactic Chat. Uh, I will put a link to your website up on the show notes so that people can find your entire bibliography there and click through and buy the books that they don't have yet, and especially those Tim Curry audiobooks. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so thank you very much, and we look forward to uh, what you produce in the next few years. Okay, thank you very much. Thanks for talking to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you.